at right where we are with the needs that we have right here, right now, today. And I know through your spirit that is possible and cause us to just listen, yield, and, and ask even now, Lord, that you would cause us to have a, a closer walk with you, having shared together in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're finishing up chapter 14 of Matthew this morning. Uh, we'll be getting with the 22nd verse this morning. And, and just a little background recalling that uh, uh, Jesus has uh, sailed uh, from the west side to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to uh, uh, avoid Herod and to take a break. And as soon as he gets over there, we uh, had it preached last Sunday, there was a great crowd. It ended up over 5,000 men, it says, and women and children. So we're talking about a lot of people. And uh, it was just a, a, a constant ministering and, and, and healing uh, that Jesus was doing during that time. And then finally in the uh, early evening, the disciples come up and they, and they say, hey, we might as well start sending these people home. It's late. It's time to eat. And we, have not, we don't have any food for them or anything. So uh, Jesus says, well, wait a minute, do we have anything? And, and, and one, one little kid has, you know, uh, five loaves and two fishes. And he said, oh, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. It's kind of like, oh, that's enough. Don't worry. And he blessed it, gave prayer, and he said, go to the disciples and start passing it out. Can you imagine how they must have felt as they're taking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and yet when it was all said and done and everybody had been fed, to the point it says there they were satisfied. That means that they ate their fill, you know, and they were satisfied. They collected 12 baskets. Interesting that it would be 12 baskets, 12 disciples, of leftover food. And, and, and so just an awesome miracle that Jesus has done. And uh, we come to the Scripture then where we are today in, in Matthew chapter uh, 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his, the, the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, or many stadia, uh, you know, uh, stadia is, is 600 feet, 200 yards, and, and several of those lengths away, possibly in, even in the middle to past the middle of the, their destination. Uh, and it, it says that uh, the boat was a long way away and from the, land, from the land and being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And this idea of being beaten by the waves, I don't know how many of you have ever been in the ocean where it's, it's really, really choppy. Not just high swells, but where the, the wave, it just, it's like the swells are breaking into waves around you. And this is the kind of wind that was driving this. That's the kind of picture we have here. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, that's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, or the storm around him, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In the last section here it says, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, 
And when, they, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So here he goes across the sea. He had gone across the, the, the Sea of Galilee to the east side initially to what? Get some peace and quiet away from the crowd. And so he just finishes with all of that comes back to the other side, and now it's, it's probably early, you know, at this point, the end of the third, third uh, fourth watch of the night, which would be around, you know, six in the morning, daylight, and they say, oh, here's Jesus, and they start running and getting every, and there's a crowd again, you know. And this is the way his ministry was going at this point. And we need to understand, too, that this is, this is a, a time where Jesus is now entering into the last year of his ministry, and there's a sense of intensity and urgency for things that, that he wants to teach to the disciples. And, and I really believe that this time of, of uh, again, which is not un, infrequent for Jesus to do when there's a major thing going on and a change coming, uh, to go apart from everybody and pray and, and, and spend the, even the night in prayer. And this is one of those times. And so as I go through this, I'll explain more of the detail to the Scripture but we start off with verse 22 where it says immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and then dismissed the crowd. Now, this idea of immediately is, is why is this, again, why is Jesus doing this? Well, we go to John chapter uh, 6 and we find some additional information. In, and For instance, in verse 15, it's talking about this same crowd and, and a brief uh, account of this same miracle of Jesus walking on the water. And he, Jesus, uh, John comments and he says, the crowd were, were wanting to make Jesus king. And I find this very interesting in the sense that it wasn't, you know, they weren't wanting to, him to be the king he's going to be. They wanted him to be the king of Israel now. So they wanted him to be an earthly king of an earthly kingdom. And they, they hadn't understood yet the message that Jesus was the king of a kingdom, but it was a kingdom of heaven, and ultimately it would end with heaven on earth, but it, was, it was, was, was something that was in the process and yet to come. And, and they were ready for it now. And again, with that typical anticipation, the Messiah is going to come, he's going to lead, he'll be the son of David, the king, and he will kick out the Romans and they had seen the supernatural things that Jesus had been doing, his miracles, his healings. And who knows, by the, you know, uh, by the end of the day, they may have already heard about the feeding of the 5,000 on the other side. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, this anxiousness on their part to see Jesus go into action, go into Jerusalem, and deliver them. And, and, and they were wanting this earthly I call them they were earthbound uh, in a sense and uh, so Jesus I believe taking that little bit of information from John uh, about the crowd wanting to make Jesus king I think the disciples were equally anxious think of some of the questions that have been and will come about you know which one of us are going to serve on the right which of us is going to serve on the left and you know, these different things. And even clear into Acts 1-6 after the resurrection, still saying, now Jesus, are we going to go do it? And Jesus says, no. We're, you guys are going to go back in prayer. They didn't really begin to understand it until the day of Pentecost, ten days after that, when the Holy Spirit filled them. And they began, Peter began to teach, and it just kind of like, through the Holy Spirit, it all came together. Oh, now I get it. And, and it's an amazing message in Acts chapter 2 of Peter tying the Old Testament to what Jesus had done. And it's, it's a powerful message. And you see that he, he, now he sees it. So, the disciples are basically earthbound at this point too. And so, he just, I think Jesus dismisses them quickly before he, they get too caught up with the crowd. But Jesus needs this time alone. And he says, I will come back with you. They didn't even question how that would occur, but I'm sure they didn't think it was going to happen the way it did. 
but they definitely anticipated, you know, they would see Jesus on the other side. Maybe he'd catch a boat with somebody else. Uh, maybe he would walk around and meet him late in the day. He, they didn't know. But they were obedient. This is the one thing I want you to see. Jesus said, go. They did, and they got in the boat, and they, and they went. Okay, that's important to grab a hold of uh, as we go through this. Uh, Jesus then dismisses the crowd, and it says twice he, he uh, hear about him dismissing the crowd. And, and the, you know, some of the commentators on this think that he did it with the idea of a benediction so that they all knew the day is over, we're done for the day. And I was thinking what benediction would be a logical one, and, I, and it was, the Lord bless thee and keep thee from numbers. You know, it's a common blessing. And, and I think everybody at that point, any Hebrew would know, the meeting's over. And Jesus was left alone. And what did he do? He went up on the mountain to pray. And it says he was there a long time. And we know that it was because the disciples had been hours in the boat because it says that this happened in the evening. And now uh, somewhere between four and six in the morning is where this picture of, the, of what's going on on the Sea of Galilee happens. Jesus is alone. He's praying on the mountain. I believe, by the way, he is praying for the disciples as, as, as a big part of what he's doing to prepare them for this, what is coming. And uh, uh, they emphasize, you know, he's, he's here alone uh, with, with his prayer time with the Father. Meanwhile, while Jesus is praying, the boat is a long way out, many stadia, as I said, uh, basically in the middle of the Sea of Galilee uh, on the northern part crossing over. And you've got to understand, these guys were familiar with the, the Sea of Galilee. Their, their boat is, is a fairly large boat, probably something that we would look at as similar to almost a whaling boat. I mean, it was a, a bigger wood boat and, and with sail and, and, and oars when they needed them. But it's not, don't get a picture of a Viking oar boat with the sail going. This was a fishing boat. They didn't have all these oars and stuff. They had a rudder at the back. You know, this is, they needed the space to carry the nets and other stuff as well. While those things might not have been in there for this particular passage, uh, the, it, the disciples all being there in the, in the boat. Okay, so they're going across. And, and with 12 people in the boat, it's going to be a little heavy which means it's going to ride a little bit low. And they're in a big storm. And, and, the, and the wind is against them. And what that means is basically the wind's blowing at them instead of behind them. I don't know how many of you have ever sailed. <laughs> my, my wife instantly goes like this because I used to have a sailboat. And I like to get it right on uh, as high on the edge as I could. And occasionally it went like that. So she wouldn't ride with me. Uh, but uh, you could get it going really fast that way. Uh, but that's when you're with the wind. <laughs> when you're against the wind, you can't do that. Well, that's not necessarily true either. <laughs> but what, what, what you find going against the wind is you have to, it's called tacking, and you have to go back and forth, catching the edge of the wind and moving in, in diagonals uh, you know, across. And even if it's a harsh wind, you might even find yourself uh, make some space, make some ground this way, and 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 lose a little bit of that coming back this way, and then make some ground this way. It can be a very long process. Now, normally, what happens is you would probably take a detour, tack, turn, and come back and and say this isn't a good day to cross the the, the, the lake. But understand, Jesus told them, "I will meet you on the other side." I think that there's a sense of obedience going on here that needs to be observed. They're going to fight this storm and get through it. Okay? And it doesn't say that they're afraid of the storm. But they're having a tough day. I've seen this where uh, sailing from Morro Bay around a, a, a point to Avalo Beach and uh, and... You know, having you know a number of, 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 of boats sailing ahead, it was a, a day of, of, of just a, a sailing club from Morro Bay going, 
and and you're getting out there and, and the boats go in groups, you know. So this last group will go out and and the wind is coming up and, and, and it was just kind of like this. The waves flashing over the, 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 the bow of the boat. You're getting sprayed. You're soaked. And you can't make it around. Well, the the person who owned the boat was my boss, uh, and and he decides to he's going to try to cut it really close and see if he can still get around. Couldn't do it. We ended up beaching at Montano de Oro, which is a a a, a state park that has a a, a beach that doesn't allow any traffic, any wheels, any vehicles, bikes, motorcycles, four wheelers, or anything on there. It's a it's a, a protected beach, and so we had to leave the boat. Moored overnight, uh, and and sail it back up to Morro Bay the next day. Uh, but it it can happen, and that's normally what you do is you get out of it because you just you're not going to get anywhere. This is kind of the position these guys were in. I, you've got to picture them tacking back and forth and losing some ground, gaining some ground, losing some ground, because they've been out here a long time. This is not a normal voyage across the sea, and the length of this storm is a is, appears to be more than normal for a Sea, a sea of Galilee wind gale. Okay? I'm just putting all that together so you can see this isn't a normal situation, but they're fighting through it rather than giving up, which would have been a more typical thing to do. And a more prudent thing if it hadn't been Jesus said, go. Okay? Um, so... They're in the midst of this storm, and they see someone, or possibly even at this point, something approaching. I want you to get again, it's, it's dark, or possibly a early dusk, uh, I mean uh, sunrise, but you know, we've got spray and wind. You know, you're not going to see very clear very far, but you could, they could see something moving on the water. That's not normal. And then it says it clearly. They saw saw him walking. They didn't know who him was, you know. But they saw him walking. And what did they? They, they were terrified. And they say, "Oh my gosh, we've seen a ghost." And they were they, and they were terrified. And why were they terrified? Well, obviously, if, if they're seeing an aberration of some kind, that would be terrifying. But I think that within the framework of this was also a sense of doom. You know, we're not going to make it. Now, somebody say well, that's a little bit superstitious. Possible. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm just saying, you know, there, 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 there's something that, you know, this is, you know, they, and they certainly weren't prepared for Jesus to be doing this. They hadn't seen him do anything. They have seen him say, storm quit and see it done immediately, even a calm sea. But, he wasn't in the boat. He wasn't there to wake up. And so, here we are with that picture of the, they're, they're seeing this coming. And, and, and so, they're terrified. And, and it says immediately, Jesus spoke. As soon as they see him and understand it's someone walking, some, uh, like a person walking on the sea, and they're terrified, he speaks to them. It says immediately, he speaks to them. I feel that's so important. He didn't let them sit there terrified for an hour and then speak to them. You know, or five minutes. It says immediately, he spoke to them. And what does he say? Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I want you to understand this. It is I is the ego of me. Uh, uh, Phrase from Exodus 14, I am that I am, uh, that God used. And so he was making a reference, whether they at this point really saw that or not, well, I'm not sure. It doesn't say completely, but there's a hint in it the way this, this passage ends. But the reality is, is that he did identify himself that way. He's basically saying, take heart, it is I am, and do not be afraid. And so, Peter, and I have to say, well, I'll let, we'll go first 
you know, Peter, is, he, he goes into action. This is Peter's character traits and makeup. He acts as soon as he hears and then thinks. Um, and we see that throughout the encounters. And, and, and you, know, through, you know, him having to go through things three times in order to, to, to catch the message. And that includes the, when Jesus tells him to go feed my sheep. Uh, it's, it's, and I feel somewhat like that, that, you know, you've got to tell me three times before I catch a hint of what you're really getting at, you know, and, and maybe one way differently than another so I can be sure. Uh, it's, he's, he's a person that is just, he's very typical of a person who just is, you know, wanting to get the job done, and he, and he, he says, and so he says, Lord, and I think this is important the way he said it, it says, if it's you, some say, you could use the word since it's you. But I still think he was throwing a, a verbal challenge to a degree. If it's you, command me to come to you and, get, and, and go uh, on, the, you know, on the water. And Jesus simply said what? Come. He's heard this before. Hey, you guys in the boat, come. Follow me. I mean, he, he, okay. He, and he, at this point... It comes together. He says, I know who he is. It's Jesus. And what does he do? He gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. You know, we, most of the time we, 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 when we're sharing this story with the kids, we focus on the fact that he lost sight of Jesus in the storm and was sinking. Catch sight first. He was walking on the water. In faith, he got out of that boat. By command of Jesus, he got out of that boat with a confidence that he could do it. In the midst of a storm that was keeping his boat, a a professional fisherman understanding the Sea of Galilee, that he he was going to be able to do this. That's, to me, a tremendous act of faith. Some people, I've read some of the commentaries that that because of the rebuke that comes later, uh, you know, Jesus is basically rebuking him even for getting out of the boat. It was too, uh, too almost like arrogant or, or uh, you know, uh, impulsive, which Peter are parts of his character trait. But at this point, I see him acting in faith. But, and this is where we come to the part that most everybody recalls, he loses sight of Jesus. It's kind of like, oh yeah, the storm. <laughs> you know? I mean, he was so, almost like he was so caught up that it was Jesus, and that Jesus said, "Okay, come." You know, he 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 just, and then all of a sudden he's thinking as he is he's part way there, to where Jesus is is in the in the storm, and and he 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 says, "Oh oh," <laughs> you know, and 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 so he starts to sink. And in a storm like this, once you're bobbing in the water, the chances of being found are not good. And, uh, you know, you know he, he, he's, he's sinking. And Peter immediately cries out, Oh, Lord, save me. And what happens in verse 31? Jesus immediately reached out his hand. This means that immediately Jesus was there by his side as Peter cried out. Again, important to grasp. He was right there as soon as he was needed. I don't know how far apart they might have been prior to that, but as soon as he cried out, Jesus was there with his arm extended and catching. It doesn't say that Peter caught his hand. It says he got, he got a hold of him. Yeah. And, and uh, they go to the boat. Now, I don't know whether they, they walk the rest of the distance to the boat. It doesn't really make it clear, but it doesn't say that. It, that, they, that and normally when it, it happens quickly, it says immediately. So I have a feeling somehow that as he was holding their hand, they walk to the, back to the boat. They get into the boat, and uh, there is a, some indications from the other gospel's message that then immediately they were at the, uh, the storm was done and they were at the, their destination on the, on the seaside. Um, but uh, the the picture that happens to Peter at that point that Jesus takes him and holds him 
he does say. And, and the words here, uh, where, where we look at it in, in, in verse 31, it says, uh, O you of little faith. I, I've never paid any attention to that. I've always just you know, taken that as a phrase. But it turns out it's just one word in, in the Greek. And it's just little faith, hyphenated. Okay? And so, you know, he's just saying, you know, and with the ending and stuff, it, it, we have the, the, the pronouns we put in it, but it was a, just a short phrase. Little faith, why did you doubt? <laughs> you know? And, and, and you know, he, but still that picture that Jesus came alongside immediately, but he says, you know, what happened to your faith, in a sense? You have little faith. I want to think about this for a minute. If a little bit of faith can give me the confidence to step out of a boat in a raging storm that's beating my boat up and walk on water because Jesus said to, a little faith is a lot. Something about mustard seed? Think about it. Jesus did not rebuke Peter for getting out of the boat. He didn't really rebuke him in the sense of a rebuke. He just commented, you of little faith, basically. Little faith. Now, the importance about that also is is that Peter's still a fledgling. He still doesn't get everything that Jesus is doing. It's a thing that is growing in him. And the rest of the disciples too. And a couple of commentators, uh, 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 Boyce and, 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 and uh, uh, Ken Pritchard and a couple others, uh, you know, will comment and say, by the way, what were the other 11 doing? They were sitting in the boat thinking, Peter's lost his mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's... I mean, they were amazed at what Jesus was doing, but then Peter jumps out of the boat. Now, they may not have been surprised for him to jump out of the boat. He'll do this again later on, and, 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 but not that he'll swim at this point, but, but you know, to go and see Jesus. But the idea was is that Peter might be one of those guys that he just turns around and looks at everybody with a big smile and you know, does jump out of the boat and swims for a while or something. You know? But in this particular case, it's the wrong time and the wrong place, and what he's doing and and uh, I, I think they were probably in somewhat awe there too. But the, Jesus and Peter, they get in the boat. The wind stops, and they're at uh, at uh, Gennesaret, and and that's a little place on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, kind of a very fertile area, and lots of people start to gather. I want you to take a minute though and look back. Why? were the disciples in this situation. Think about it now. Why were they... Step Bob. Uh, why were they in this situation? Jesus said to do it. It's very important. They were where Jesus wanted them to be. Okay? They hadn't, they hadn't done anything wrong. They, they're, they're, there's nothing amiss here. They're not missing the mark in the sense of, of doing what Jesus told them. In fact, I, I, I feel like they're going the extra mile already kind of in this kind of a storm rather than going back and beaching. And so they're being obedient. They're doing exactly what Jesus has told them to do. Even fighting the storm to do it. Now, the reason why I emphasize that is there's also times, you know, you know, when we have trials and tribulations, when, for lack of better words, when we have storms in our life, and all of us have had them, are having them, or will have them. It's not something you escape in this lifetime. Sometimes you can like go to Psalm 73 and see where, where you know, the, the people that are, are the wicked people who will not confess God and they seem to be doing so well, and the psalmist talks about that, and then he goes into the, the sanctuary and he's at peace with God, and he knows they don't have it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, but but sometimes we we see what's going on around us, and 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 it can be a very critical thing. It can be a very 
major thing. It can be a very tragic thing. And possibly one of the first things that comes to your mind is, what have I done wrong? Where did I miss the mark in this situation that this could happen? The other thing is is that just point blank, is there sin in my life that's, that's causing this to be going on, this illness or, or this chronic situation or this, the, you know, this ongoing storm around me? Now, James does have a point where he says, you know, you know that there's a, a point where if there's things going wrong in your life, you know, and, and, and come to the elders and pray and confess your sins, this type of thing, and, you know, so it's not wrong to assess that way. Don't misunderstand me. But there are times where Jesus will call you into a situation and it will be a storm. You can be right exactly where Jesus wants you in the middle of a storm and not, in a sense, any fault of your own. Why would Jesus do that? O oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt to build you up? And that's what he was doing with Peter and the disciples. They, it doesn't say they were afraid of the storm. And, and some say as long as they were in the boat, they were safe. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, because Jesus had sent them. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know whether I can testify to that. The Scripture doesn't really say it that way. But the reality is, is that uh, there was a point in time of, of, of teaching and ministering and, 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 and letting them grow a little bit more in understanding who he is as they approach this last year of his ministry, which is going to be very busy. Trials and tribulations are simply a part of living in a fallen world. And whether, you know, you, can, you know, the Lord can call you into something and there will be trials and tribulations. You can try to avoid them and there still will be trials. You can try to take the risk-free route of life. And, and, I, and I tell you all, I, and I will use a, a personal example from my family, my grandfather. Now, my grandfather was a believer. He rested in, 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 in the grace of God with, with absolute confidence in his salvation so understand that and he was he, he at 19 when he graduated uh, from uh, the University of Berkeley uh, he had his teaching degree and a mathematics degree and he goes to a little town of a couple of hundred people called Lompoc California and was their first full-time teacher in the old-fashioned church building schoolroom Some of the kids are actually older than him because you could easily be 21 or 22 and still trying to get through the third, fourth, or fifth grade because you only went to school part of a quarter, part of a month or two a year because the rest of the time you worked. He rode a horse to 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 the school every every day. I mean that was you know that was the era. He went there, and and this was explained to me more by my grandmother. But he went there because he believed that's where he was supposed to go. Now, he chose to stay there. And my, my, my dad and my uncle have always felt that he was such a brilliant man that why didn't he... I mean, he, Berkeley was out, would, would have put him full scholarship to come back and get his, master, uh, his uh, uh, PhD and, and be a teacher and a professor and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he didn't do it. So my, my, my dad and my, my uncle, who were very educated as well, they kind of felt like he, he took the, 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 the no-risk route. He just stayed in Lompoc. He taught in the school from 1898 until uh, the early 50s when he retired. The only reason why he retired was my grandmother required full-time care because she had broken both of her hips and back then that was you were bedridden and so he stopped his involvement with school in his early 70s and became a full-time caretaker for my my grandmother 
the interesting thing is, is that people would say, my, 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 my dad and my, and my uncle would look at it and say, why didn't he do this? He told us to do it. You know, why didn't he do this? And, and, and they looked back and said he was kind of like taking the risk-free move. But, you know, in the midst of that, there were still trials and tribulations. My grandfather lost his, one of his sons at 18 in a uh, swimming accident. He started to go blind in the early 50s, uh, became difficult to read, and, and by the mid-50s, he was white cane. Um, and, and here when he retired, he always thought of all the books he was going to read. And uh, now he needed this huge magnifying glass that went up and down with a little light underneath it to, to focus on the book depending on how thick it was. You know, and, and so there wasn't much reading that he could do. He took care of my grandmother. You know, got her up in the morning. Another tragic situation, chronic pain for her. So even in what would appear the risk-free move, there was still trials and tribulations. So I'm using a, a personal anecdote from my life just to share with you. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, you know, the trials and tribulations are going to be there. You can think you're going to take the easy way out, and you'll still might run into a wall. Uh, you know, so. Uh, the reality is, is that, that we're going to have these trials and tribulations. And, uh, but the, the other side of it is that Jesus is there. And it doesn't matter whether you did it in, in, in a duty-driven sort of way or if you blew it. And, 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 you, and, and you're paying the consequences of a, a bad decision. I, the, 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 the awesome picture is, is that Jesus will still immediately be there. That brings us to the scriptures that were read this morning from Hebrews uh, chapter 7. The, the picture where it points out that Jesus is the high priest. It says, continually interceding on our behalf. Verse 25. I want you to think about that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sitting at the right hand, also in the context of high priest, He is the interceder for us. And it's constant. We're never without His prayer. Isn't that an amazing thing? I don't think that the disciples were ever without His prayer. He was praying for them, I believe, on the mountain. He was praying for them while He walked on the sea. And He was even, as He rebuked Peter, it was a sense of prayer to bring Him along. It was interesting this morning as I was putting my last... I have a system of the way I put my notes together. And I did my last run early this morning with them and going over them. And I had some background music going. And I don't know how familiar you are with an old song that uh, I will see you through, I will be there. And it was an old, you know, 60s soul and rhythm and blues song. Well, Johnny Rivers, I, I, whether he was the writer of it or not, also made a, a, a rendition of that. As a Christian, he made another rendition of that. He will see you through. As I was getting to this part, that song was playing, and it just gave me goosebumps personally. It was just neat experience. He will see you through. He will see you through. He'll be there. And, and, uh, and so I, I look at that, and, and, and you know, as earthbound as a lot of my thinking is, <laughs> you know, I am heaven bound. The disciples were heaven bound, but they were growing. They were still at the very early stages of this. But what happened in verse 33 is awesome. Again, you know, look at verse 33. And those in the boat, who were those in the boat? Jesus and the disciples. The foundation that would be the, the, the men outside of Judas that would be the foundation of the church. And these in the boat worshipped Him. It's the first time we get a picture of them actually using, you know, when we use this phrase, worshipped Him. Saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I still think they're earthbound in their understanding, but they're catching a glimpse of the heavenly here. 
How did they worship Him? They said, truly, you are the Son of God. That was the, that's the way they worshiped Him. Isn't that the way we were, are supposed to worship? Truly, you are the Son of God. We confess with, our, with our, our mouth and, and, and believe in our heart that He is the Son of God who has saved us. Okay? And, that, and, and as we think that way, as we, as we, we put, meditate on that, that's a form of worshiping Him. And we worship Him for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will yet do. As you go through the various worship psalms, you see all of that. But all in the midst, we worship it because it's what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. And they were worshiping Him because of what He had just done. And I can't help but think the phrase, I am, was part of that picture in there. They caught a glimpse of it. A glimpse of heaven for them where they were pretty much earthbound and they, they got right back to it right away. So, and the only other thing I, I wanted to point out this is, is, is in this last section where the, they're back on, in Gennesaret and, 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 and the people start coming. I want you to get the picture that it was a crowd coming together. And the idea was if we could just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment type of picture. And we've, there's a song, a Southern Gospel song that talks about that, you know, uh, with the lady who was, uh, well, we've already even gone over that miracle, and, and, and needed healing. And she says, if I could just touch the hymn, okay? So get the idea that it's, there's a large crowd around him. I want you to understand something interesting about the Pharisees. You won't find them mixed in the crowd. They're always on the perimeter or outside of it. Because they don't want to be touched by someone that might contaminate them. I hadn't really put that together until one of the commentators did, and so I didn't put it together anyway. Uh, and, and as I was looking through that, I was thinking about it, but the, the, the picture is Jesus doesn't worry about being contaminated. He's the guy that touched the leper. Who would, that would have been considered instant contamination. But what was the, some one of the themes that came out of that? The leper was cleansed. Jesus was right in the middle of the crowd. By the way, I think this kind of spurs where this is going to go in chapter 15 in the next section. Okay, I just, That's why I wanted to make sure I drew this to your attention and connected these two things together. But the emphasis this morning is they, they, they worshipped Him and they declared, You are the Son of God. I think as we approach communion, that's where we are this morning. We worship Him and say, You are the Son of God. You're the one who saved me. They, he just delivered them from the storm. They worshiped Him. They, they, he, and, and, and I see that picture of that in there. They caught a glimpse of heaven. And most of the time, that's all we're catching, are glimpses. But as we go through communion, thank Him for what He has done, ask Him to examine your heart about where you stand, if there's a thing that needs to be confessed or dealt with in your life, this is a time to, to deal with that. And, and also the idea of thanking Him for what He has done, is doing, and is going to do, because it even talks about doing this until He comes again. And in the framework of that, also saying, Lord, help me to catch the glimpses of heaven You throw my way, that I might draw close to You. So I ask the ushers to come forward. Um, pass the communion out until we've all been served and, and, and we'll share it together.
love the words to that song, you know, several things that, that ministered to me, but just the reality that if I had everything there was of the world to give, uh, it still wouldn't be enough for what He's done for us. It tells us how much He loves us. Love so amazing. Jesus chose to take two parts of the Last Supper to become emblems of, of His suffering on the cross for us. And uh, He took the bread that night and He blessed it. Let me read to you from Matthew uh, 26, 26. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and He said, Take, eat, this is My body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He finished that with, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, again, for what He's done, what He's doing, and we anticipate what is yet to come. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come to Your table today. We ask, Lord, that You would cause us to, to catch those glimpses of You and realize that indeed we are pretty much earthbound and of little faith so much of the time. But we ask that You would give us those glimpses that our faith might grow and our worship might grow. And we long for that day. Kind of like what Paul said, that to die is, you know, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Maranatha at the end of that, come, come soon Lord Jesus at the end of 1 Corinthians. So we look at that and say we long for that day where we join You face to face and our loved ones that have gone ahead of us. But as we are here now, we ask that You would cause us to look at the trials and tribulations around our lives as opportunities to see You at our side, reaching out and even pulling us up out of the water that we might walk with You. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.